brothers and sisters, let us pray. For this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house of prayer and worship once again. Father, we thank you for the message that Pastor Mark has prepared to us for us today. We pray that you open up our hearts and our minds and help us to receive and comprehend the word that he's going to share with us. Father, use him as your instrument and speak through him. Father, we uh, bless this day and we just thank you for all that you have done for us. And we pray also that we would not only be hearers of your word, but also doers of your word. Father, help us to go out from here and share the love of Jesus Christ with everyone that we come in contact with. These are now the blessings we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go to for Titus. Thank you, Titus. God bless you as you go. Psalm 36 today, as we continue talking about Christian atheism, we uh, are going to talk today about believing and not fearing, but last week we talked about the fact that uh, uh, Christian atheism is, 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 or a Christian atheist is someone who believes in God, but lives as though he doesn't exist. This guy, Craig Rochelle, wrote a book called The Christian Atheist, and I'm borrowing liberally from it, so uh, if you get it, you might see some things that I've said uh, in our services, but uh, I thought it was just a great way for us to approach a an age-old, church-old problem, uh, which is us kind of forgetting what we believe and living as if God doesn't exist. Last week, we tackled it from the, the, the format or from the angle of not knowing God. Here's, here's the deal. Lots of people think that they are Christian, and they're really not. They're just culturally Christian. Now, that's kind of how we approached things last week. There's uh, uh, scriptures in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible that lead us to believe that people are going to think that they're, you know, uh, uh, saved or with God, and they're going to find out at the end that they never were because they kind of, well, they, they kept the relationship professional. Do you have any professional relationships with people? You only let them go so far, right? We're going to keep this professional. Uh, there's lots of people in the world when it comes to God, they keep it professional. They're, they're, they like them. They like the idea of God. They believe that there is a God. But as far as uh, engaging with him on some personal level, and, and certainly as far as you know, surrendering to him, all of our lives are like, whoa, 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 hey, let's keep this professional. Uh, I call those folks fans of God. Uh, they're kind of sitting in the stands and they're rooting him on, uh, but they're not really engaged in him or what he's doing. Now, many of us have figured out that there's, there's more to this life than just knowing about God. We need to know him personally, and we've chosen to do that, but maybe that's where it stopped for us. We put our faith in Jesus and just kind of ended it there. We haven't really changed or progressed, but certainly there's areas of our lives. Remember I talked about this, here's what you can have, but you can't have this. In these areas that are kind of kept from our God, we're, we're bench warmers. We're prone to Christian atheism, believing in God, but not living as if he exists. And uh, My hope is that all of us would be uh, players on the team with God and on, in, on the field with him as we live out this life in a way that would honor him and glorify him as we submit to him. Uh, I, I want to move on this week to talk about uh, people who believe in God but don't fear in him. Uh, and this is an area of my life uh, that is, uh, man, I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm pretty choosy about the rules that uh, I choose to completely abide uh, to. Uh, here's what I mean. All of us are probably saying, you know, that's, that's a rule, but it's not really necessary in this instance. Or it certainly doesn't pertain to me, it's just for everybody else. Like yesterday, here we go, confession time. I took my daughter to Tallahassee to look at the uh, university that's there uh, before they lost by 700 points or whatever yesterday, but uh, <laughs> uh, we, we stayed uh, Friday uh, and over Saturday morning and, uh, and we were getting ready to drive home so I could preach last night. 
and uh, we wanted to grab some breakfast. My, my wife and daughter were with me, and so they like girl food. I call it girl food. They went on uh, Zomato or uh, Urban Spoon or whatever the app is, and they found this French pastry bakery. <sighs> anyway, uh, so I had to drive them so they could get their chocolate croissants and uh, yeah, no kidding. And uh, there was nothing there for a man to eat. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> There's no man food anywhere. So, uh, so I brought them there and then uh, found out as we got there that this was not going to be a suitable place for them to get their coffees because, you know, you got to have your coffee a certain way. So went to another drive through for coffee. And then I was going to go get man food at Mickey D's because <laughs> egg McMuffins are two for three bucks. Come on. <laughs> That's everything a man needs right there. <laughs> Lots of food, no money. That's perfect. And uh, we were coming up to a turn that was going to take us to Mickey D's. And, uh, I was in the left-hand lane, and I, I looked up, and I noticed, and there it was, this common sign in Florida that has absolutely, uh, doesn't make any sense to me at all. It's the, it's the little arrow thing in the shape of an upside-down U with the red circle around it and the slash. Okay, guys, I'm on a highway or a big road, Thomasville Road in, in Tallahassee. There's, there's three lanes. I mean, if, if I could understand it, like if it was, it was going to be hard to make a U-turn, don't let the U-turn happen. But I got an arrow, no other traffic's coming. They're stopped, and, and I need to get there. I don't want to go there to get there. I want to go there, right? So I know none of you have ever done this. But I had the time it took for the light to change to decide what I was going to do. And I'm not proud of this, but here it comes. Light changed. It's also 8.30 in the morning on a Saturday. There's no one out there. Light changed. I'm like, bug it. And I just went. Mm, perfect U-turn, by the way. Stayed in my lane and everything. <laughs> but as I'm doing it, my daughter from the back seat goes, well, you better preach about this one. which was the Holy Spirit reminding me what I was preaching on this weekend. And I was like, oh, darn it. <laughs> Opening illustration. It's me. It's you. It's us. Because if last week was about cultural Christianity, this week's about customized Christianity. This is what we do. We come to the Bible, we come to our faith, and we say, you know what? I believe that's true. I believe that's for me. I believe that that pertains to my life. But these other parts... Not so much. They're, they're inconvenient. They seem kind of ticky-tacky. You know, certainly a gracious and loving God will overlook this one if I choose to not abide by his standards here. Now, this comes from our history. Probably some of you are newer to the church, but many of us grew up in an age where those hymns that we just had the choir sing for us were, were standard fare. And many of those churches we grew up in were what I call hellfire brimstone churches. They were uh, angry Baptists is what I grew up in. And, uh, and you'd go to church every week, and the pastor would get up there, and he'd spin the wheel that he had in his office, and he'd pick an area of sin, and then he'd take that area of sin, and he'd come out, and he'd yell at you about that area of sin in your life for 45 minutes, hopefully bludgeoning you to the point where you'll stop doing it, right? Because God's going to crush you if you don't. And then we'd all go home and talk about what Mrs. Hughes was wearing. I don't know. But uh, 
Week after week, that was the deal. This is why, uh, uh, you know, probably 30, 40, 50 years ago, most of America's evangelical churches were kind of uh, wrapped up in this thing called legalism. Just lots of rules. The emphasis was on the rules. Don't break them. And, and, and the idea of God that most people had in church was that he, he was just waiting for you to mess up so that he could smush you. And, and he was a God of wrath and, and justice. Well, thankfully, mostly, thankfully, uh, there, there came a shift in, in the ideas that the church had uh, nationally and globally. And, and so grace started coming in. Grace started being preached in our, our churches. And, and lo and behold, people responded to the idea of grace, that you don't have to be perfect, that God loves us anyway. Who's happy about that? Anybody happy about that? We, uh, <laughs> we loosened up. Uh, in our culture, especially, like, we are a very relaxed church. I'm wearing the suit coat today as kind of an example. This, is, this was standard fare when I grew up. I was, I was eight years old and wearing a three-piecer. Because if I wasn't in my three-piecer at my Angry Baptist Church, well, <laughs> God might crush me right there. <laughs> but we've gone past that. We've understood that it's not what we wear. It's not even what we do that makes us loved by God. It's just that he loves us crazy about us, regardless of your mess. If, if you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. God's grace is sufficient for anything that you've ever done, thought, said. He covers it, and he forgives it if you only seek him and, 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 and accept his grace through Christ. So, so uh, great, great transition in the church, right? But here's what came with it. The pendulum swung, right? And all the anger and hellfire, brimstone, laws, rules, legalism turned into Grace, frolic in the meadow. <laughs> Do whatever you want because God will just cover it with the big blanket of grace. And now we live in a world where churches don't know what righteousness is. And even if they do, they don't care to do it. Because, you know, there's so many rules. He'll be, listen, he forgave me once, he'll forgive me again. He'll just, and listen, is that true? Will God forgive you again? Yeah, but there's verses in the Bible, like in Romans, it says, listen, uh, should, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound, Paul asks in Romans? Should we just go out there and go, you know, uh, you know crazy, breaking all the rules so that we can see the grace meter go up and up and up? No, he says no. He says big no, meganoita. Uh-uh. We've been so amazingly and graciously saved, how could we go back to the mess? How could we go back to the things? How could we laugh, as it were, in the face of God's sacrifice and grace for us by just doing whatever we want? Scripture is clear, but we're not clear on it. We like uh, customized Christianity. We live in a day and age where everything's customized, right? Uh, but back in the day... Uh, Weren't that many restaurants, but uh, the ones I went to were kind of cafeteria style. Luby's, Piccadilly, they had one here. Uh, Golden Corral's still kind of this way, right? But you grab your tray, and then there's the food. 500, you know, items, and you'd go through. Usually you'd get your silverware and your plate, and then you'd start picking out. You know, in, in the cafeterias I went to, everything was boiled, everything. Came out of a pot of boiling water, and most of it wasn't very appetizing looking. And your mom would be like, you're taking the, you know, the green beans. And I'm like, okay. But then you get to the meat. I'm a carnivore. And they'd have all these you know, meat 
options, and I just take them all. And then you get to the dessert. Oh, the dessert area. Who likes the dessert area, right? I mean, I'd just be like, okay. <laughs> you can take all that you want or none, but the choice was yours, right? Well, now that's almost every situation we're in. You can't give an order at a restaurant now without specifying to the finest detail exactly what you want. Chipotle, it's just a modern cafeteria. You just go through and you tell them what delicious morsels you want in your bowl, right? Even car buying, they've got it online now, cars.com, you've seen the commercials? You can like say, I want this model and this color from this year with these miles and da-da-da-da-da, and it just sorts it all out for you so that you get what you want. We're a get-what-you-want society. Customize everything. And it's what we've done with our faith. We go to the Bible and we see the parts about grace and we're like, give me some of that. But then we see the parts about God's wrath and his justice and his call for righteousness in our life and we're like, hmm, maybe next time. We see the parts that tell us that he has a plan to prosper us. We're like, oh, I like prosperity. Give me the prosperity. I'll read that one every day. I'll put it on a card and hang it in my house. But we don't like Hebrews 13, 4, where it says, keep the marriage bed pure, because that's old-fashioned. I mean, come on. you got to take a test drive before you buy, right? So we'll just skip that part. Pick and choose, pick and choose. Give me the blessings, but keep that whole take up your cross stuff. Work all things together for my good. But when you're asking me to be generous with all the things that you gave me, hey, slow your roll, God. That stuff's mine. Pick and choose, pick and choose. We even do it with the rules. And and, and we do all of this for, for lots of reasons. We're sinful, we're prone to wander, Lord. Isn't that true? Yeah. But, but we, we also do it because we just don't, we don't have a proper understanding of who God is. Does everybody get that God's bigger than us? That God, I mean, we, we preach his grace and his love and we see the lamb, but does everybody understand that he's the lion? That his wrath is as sure as his grace? That his justice is as, is as righteous and as pure as his love and his mercy? Does everybody get that? Sometimes I don't think we do. Because we're, like, we're at the stoplight in Tallahassee and we're like... This isn't going to matter. No one's out here to see it. That's what we think sin is. Sin is only the stuff that we get caught for. The rest of it is apparently not wrong because we didn't get busted. And so since we didn't get busted, we'll just keep doing it until something bad happens to us. Sin equals something bad happening to me, not the bad things that we're choosing to do. I mean, that's how I've grown up. I don't get caught. I guess it didn't matter. This is the attitude that we've adopted. We've customized our faith in God, and we've lost our fear of God. So here's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about, uh, no, keep going. I skipped all this stuff, yeah. Just so you know, that's how sermons are. I just do what I want. Here we go. <clears throat> so what is this fear of God thing? Let's define the fear of God. Here's what I think the fear of God is. It's a love for God plus a respect for God plus humility. That's what the fear of God is. Everybody say that with me. It's a love for God, it's a respect for God, and it's humility. You put all that stuff together in a bowl and mix it up, and then you have this idea of fear of God. Now, fear of God isn't like boogeyman. It's not like, uh, like the legalism that I was you know, graciously pulled out of. I thought God was just there waiting to smash me. That's not a balanced understanding of who God is. Does everybody agree with me on that? 
But we can't go all the way to grace and not understand that God deserves our respect. He deserves our love. He deserves our humility. And when those things are in balance, we have a proper fear of God. A healthy fear, I like to call it. I grew up with a healthy fear of my mom. I loved her. She loved me. But I didn't like crossing her because I knew what would happen if I did. We need the same kind of fear for our God. Some of us love God uh, with all of our hearts, like I was saying earlier. We've got no problem with him, uh, but we don't respect him. Uh, he, he feels like a substitute teacher to us. Things we would never try with the regular person. We, we, we Remember that from high school? Oh, good, sub. We're going we're gonna to totally mess with this one, right? I had this uh, guidance counselor uh, in my uh, high school, and uh, the, the lady who worked in the guidance council office went to our church. Her name was Loretta, and she and I were really, uh, you know, good buds. Uh, she was everybody's friend in that high school. We were such good friends that she would occasionally, because she knew my family, she would occasionally let me borrow her car at lunchtime to go get lunch uh, and come back to the high school. It was back in the days when that was possible. I didn't have a car. I wasn't even close to sniffing one, so it was a great blessing, right? Well, one day I go into her office, and I want to go to grab some lunch with some friends, and she's not there, but her keys are on the desk, right? And so I did some quick, you know, 16-year-old math, and I was like, well, I'll just take it real quick, and probably she won't even notice, you know, I'll come back before she even gets back here, and uh, this is the age before cell phones, and you can get a hold of people. Well, uh, she came back in five minutes after I'd left with her car, thought someone had stolen her car, right, and was about to call the cops on me when she heard that, you know, someone had saw me walking out of her office, and then she just waited at her desk for me to return, and I saw a side of Loretta that I've never seen before. Because <laughs> my assumption was, because we had this great loving, you know, uh, close relationship, I could just do whatever I wanted. And some of us have that mindset when it comes to God. Hey, I love him, he loves me. Mm, yeah, he does. He loves you enough to mess you up when you mess up. Some of us, we respect God, but we just, we don't really love him. Don't love him enough, at least, uh, or don't love him as much as we love ourselves to curb ourselves into his ideas of what righteousness is. Like, you know why I took the U-turn yesterday? Does everybody understand why I did that? Just simple reasons, convenience, okay? It was quicker. Uh, I wouldn't have to take the three minutes that would it take me to go up the road and pull a legal U-turn? Because I had to get on the road. I had to preach to my church that night. Right? But, but here's what I did in that moment. Uh, and you might say, Mark, it's a U-turn. Quit beating yourself up. Hey, it's the law. All right? And the reason that we skip out on the laws and the rules all the time, the little ones and then the bigger ones that we make excuses for ourselves on, is we just, it's more convenient for us. It, it's, it's more in line with what our culture says. I love me in those moments of rebellion more than I love God. I'm just putting me on my altar. I'm, I'm putting me at the front of my church, and I'm worshiping me. I might know the rules, but I love me more than I love God, so I don't keep the rules. This humility part, I added that this morning. Bonus track, this wasn't on last night's sermon. Humility to me is, I think, the, 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 the binding agent of both the love and respect deal. 
Like, you'll never truly fully love God unless you humble yourself. You'll never truly respect God unless you humble yourself, unless you get low. And this is the hardest part of being a Christian for me, is staying low, getting down and staying down. And just being surrendered like we talk about here all the time. Listen, I don't even think sometimes it's intentional. It's just our nature to stand back up and want to take control of our lives away from God. I got this. You're taking too long to answer my prayers. This is a dumb rule. Whatever our excuses are. But we stand back up and we say, this is what I'm doing. A lot of times we don't even know we're doing it. And it's tremendously tremendously disrespectful. It's tremendously unloving when we choose to disobey God. I'm not not trying to appeal you on the the grounds that God's going to smush you if you aren't good. Does everybody hear me? I'm, I'm not trying to come from that direction. I believe he can if he wants fully, and often he does. But I'm not trying to talk to you like that. I'm trying to talk to you from the the idea that God has given us uh, his love, and we need to love him back, that God has chosen us in grace, and we need to respect him for that, give him ourselves fully, that he is God, and we are not. We need to humble ourselves before him. A lot of times we do it, we don't even notice it. I was at the uh, Rays Red Sox game, of course the Red Sox lost, but uh, it was an afternoon game. And we got there, I hadn't had lunch yet, so I went down to where the food served and got myself some lunch. And I was standing at this, uh, at this kind of like a table like that, just kind of standing there eating my lunch as the game was about to begin. Well, I was so engorged in this delicious hamburger. I don't know where I got it, but if you ever, there's like a hamburger that has every piece of the pig on it. It's awesome, and a burger. It's really great. But I was, I was just so into this burger that I didn't notice that the national anthem had begun. Okay? Now, I'm a, I'm a patriot. I stand at our anthem. I respect what has been given on behalf of our country uh, for us to have the freedoms that we have. It is not a problem with me to do that. Are, are you, oh, thank you. Yes, I'm glad you agree. But, but here's the deal. For the first half of the national anthem, I'm slamming a hamburger. And all I'm looking at is the hamburger. And I'm so into the hamburger that I don't come online until Rocket's Red Glare. And then I look around, and everybody else in all of the tunnels has taken the cue from the national anthem. They've all stopped, hands on their hearts. They're facing television screens all around me as the flag is waving on those flat screens, right? Some of them are glaring at me. (laughs) Rightfully so, because I'm elbows deep in this King Burger or whatever it was, right? And I finally look up. I got barbecue sauce down my face. And I realize in horror what's going on. I'm being disrespectful. Didn't mean to be. I was just hungry. But I'm disrespecting our flag. I take the burger. I put it over my. <laughs> and I got barbecue sauce coming down my face. And I'm just like, I missed part of it, but I'm not missing the end. <laughs> Land of the free, home of the brave. Play ball. <laughs> anyway. I think we do that. Unintentionally, we just kind of fly by our seat. We get wrapped up in whatever's going on in our lives, and we forget that God has spoken on these issues. He's got a clear path for us and how we're supposed to live, and and we're just kind of not seeing it. You know what I pray today? I pray today is a day where everybody here gets to kind of have their snap-to moment, where they hear in their spiritual lives the rocket's red glare. And they kind of come awake in the areas of their lives where they're 
failing to respect God, failing to love God, failing to fear God, and in humility, in humility, bending their knee to him. I'm going to ask you to pray about that as I preach this last little part. We're going to go to the Bible now, Psalm 36. And I'm just going to show you what David says about uh, not fearing God and about how God reacts in light of that. And, and then I'm going to show you David's prayer for himself, that he would never get to the point where he didn't fear God. Now, uh, spoiler alert, David failed. Uh, so if you're sitting here today and being like, well, I'll never be like David, well, you, you probably are just like David because he blew it just like you and I do, okay? But David's heart was to always uh, be in step with God, to live in a proper fear and a healthy fear for God and to honor him with his life. So think about the ways that maybe you're uh, eating through your anthem and not seeing the things that God wants you to be doing in your life. And I pray today is a day where you get to surrender those to him as well. So let's answer this question with the time that we have left. What happens when we fail to fear God? Uh, Psalm 36 will tell us. And like most psalms, or a lot of psalms, uh, there's kind of two parts to this psalm. There's, there's uh, uh, almost always at the front, there's either some good news or some bad news being uh, expounded on by the writer of the psalm. David wrote most of them, but others were involved in the writing of the psalms. There's, it's a songbook. He's basically writing poems uh, that were often put to music and sung as praises to God. But they almost always start with some kind of conflict. Either David's being chased or there's a problem in the world. And then they they kind of transition to the truth about God in that situation. You're going to see both of those. It's kind of a bad news, good news uh, scenario. And this is, this is where we see Psalm 36 going. First of all, he gives us the bad news. When we fail to fear God, it just magnifies our mess. It just makes the mess that us living our lives uh, by our own compass, it just makes it bigger. The less you fear God, the more likely to do your own, you're going to do your own stuff. And the more you do your own stuff, the bigger your mess is going to be. Is everybody with me on that? Let's see it spelled out here. Here's what David says, Psalm 36. He says, transgression, sins. Transgression means crossing the line. Us rebelling against what God says. It speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. You know what I picture when I read this part of the Bible? I picture Gollum. Anybody remember that from Lord of the Rings? Yeah. Remember he used to have these conversations with himself in the, in the water? And there was the good golem. Some of you are like, I didn't see that, Mark. Just follow me. There was the good golem and the bad golem, and the bad golem would always be saying, but we must kill the hobbitses, right, and that kind of stuff. And the good golem would be like, no, we should, he, 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 Mr. Frodo's our friend. No, he's got our precious. You know that whole thing? Are you with me? <laughs> Some of you are like, no, I'm not with you at all, Mark. You're weird. It's okay. I go to the movies. Anyway, uh. <laughs> but that's what happens. There's this old nature that's a part of us even as the new nature comes into our lives through Christ and that old nature just, the word, when it says speaks there, it's like a whisper. Psst. Hey, hey Mark, take the Yui. No one's out here. No cops are gonna get you. Just do it. It'll be quicker. And I do it, and you do whatever you do. Why? Well, because in that particular situation, at that particular time, there's no fear of God in your eyes or in my eyes. It goes on, it says, uh, he flatters himself, verse 2, in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. So, so he's basically going through the progression of a sin. Uh, transgression or the idea of sin whispers to his heart. And then he goes and does it. And guess what? He didn't get caught. And he's like, oh yeah, 
oh yeah, I'm bad. My, my iniquity, it wasn't found out. I'm not hated because of what I've done. I'm, I'm not being punished by, by what I've done. And what does it say he does? He flatters himself. He, he gets a big head. He, he has an arrogance in his sin. Have you ever been caught in a huge sin? You, probably the first time you did it, you got away with it. I'm like, well, that wasn't so bad. No one found out I stole from the company. No one found out that I was talking to her on him on Facebook. No one found out that I did this, I did that. Must not be wrong, because I didn't get caught. Verse three, it says the words of his mouth. They're trouble and deceit. And he has ceased to act wisely and do good. You know what, uh, these, these uh, experiences where, where we don't get caught, they, they buoy our confidence, and we start having this self-conversation. We're not whispering anymore, we're saying like, yeah, you're invincible. You can do whatever you want. Nothing's, nothing bad's ever gonna happen to you. You know what almost every uh, shocking YouTube video that you've ever seen on YouTube starts with? The person who is the subject of the video saying, what's the worst thing that could happen? That's what I think has happened in all of those videos. Because they're like, yeah, this will totally work out. And what does that, <laughs> that, that mentality come from? It's this hubris that, thinks, that says I'm invincible. I can, I can totally, uh, you know, I, I saw some guys, uh, you know, some... Uh, some gentleman who apparently had been uh, given confidence by uh, a yeast-based liquid. Are you with me? And so they got on a, uh, they tied a rope to the back of a pickup truck, and this kid got on a cardboard box behind it, and they started kind of doing water skiing on the on the grass, and uh, and this kid's just kind of flying around there, and his friends are videoing it, right? <laughs> and 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 the video ends as the kid uh, they take a wide turn. And the kid just starts sliding towards the garage. Is everybody with me on this? Yeah. And all of his friends are like, oh, didn't see that coming. In other words, right? I think all of us, when we get into the really big sins, a couple things happen. Probably we're, we're really trapped by our appetites, but then uh, we're really convinced by our arrogance that this, this is never going to work out wrong. This is never going to be a bad in my life. Now, it gets so bad that it becomes the obsession of our lives. Look at it says, verse four. Uh, he, this wicked guy, he plots trouble while he's on his bed and he sets himself in a way that is not good and he does not reject evil. All of this comes from our failure to fear God. We get so wrapped up in serving ourselves and our appetites and our desires that it's the only thing we can think about. We put our head on our pillow at night and we just plot new ways to serve ourselves. David gives this as a cautionary tale. He says, this isn't what I want to do. This is what I want to stay away from. And then he transitions in the psalm and he gives us the good news. The good news is that when we fail to fear God, God chooses to love us anyway. Some of you aren't clapping. Did, did everybody hear what I just said? When we fail to fear God, he chooses to love us anyway. Yeah. Some of you are like, okay, I'll clap, fine. <laughs> Whatever, Mark. Manipulative, okay. But, but just so you know, whenever a pastor or a preacher or anybody tells you about the incredible grace of God in the face of our depravity, it should be uproarious applause. Now, it's not because we've gotten used to it. It's not because we're like, yeah, whatever, big deal. It's in the Bible. Yeah, I believe that. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because of that. Okay, move along. 
but it should just hit us right in the head and cause us to go, wow, that he would do that for me despite what I've done in rebellion against him. Does everybody see how our kind of passe reaction to those kinds of things can lead us to this kind of, uh, well, eating a burger through the anthem in spiritual terms? Are you with me? Yeah. This is what David says. He says, not you, God. Your steadfast love, O Lord, it's there, even as I or others uh, who have rebelled against you rebel. Your steadfast love, it's, the, it's a Hebrew word, hesed. Everybody say hesed. It's the closest thing we have to the Greek word agape, which is this unconditional, steadfast, unturning love of God in, in the Hebrew language. And this is what David uh, boasts in or, or celebrates about his God. He says, your steadfast love extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. You're gonna see that he's, he's being poetic here. He's gonna start in outer space. It's the heavens. He says, your faithfulness, it's like the clouds. He's come into our uh, stratosphere and he's talking about uh, another depth of God's love. He goes on and he says, verse six, he says, your righteousness is like the mountains. Does everybody see him kind of descending? Stars, clouds, tops of the mountains. And then he says, your justice and your judgments are like the greatest deep. He basically just pulled some Hebrew poetry on you right there. It's called a merism. And he's just basically saying, uh, you know, through simile here, uh, your love and your faithfulness, your righteousness and your judgments, they're everywhere. They, they extend to every situation of my life from the top to the bottom and everywhere in between. Your love is for me. Man and beast, he summarizes. You, you save us both. You're our savior and our sustainer, our Lord. He goes on, he talks about the house that, that God invites us uh, who are rebellious against him into. He says, how precious is your steadfast love. There's that has said again. He says, the children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. He went to the barn first before he goes to the house. He says, you know what it's like, God? It's like you being the mama hen and us being these little peeper chicks. And we're just kind of pecking around the barnyard and we can't defend ourselves. There's nothing in us or, or of us that, that is, uh, is, is, is able, but you, through the tender nurture and the protection of your wing, you take care of us and you save us. He goes on and he says this. He says that they feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. Verse nine says, for with you is the fountain of life and in your light do we see light. Again, hard to appreciate in just five minutes time, but what David basically said is, hey, even all of us hot messes, you ask us over. You bring us into your house. Anybody remember the story of the prodigal in Luke chapter 15? Remember the rebellion of that son? He basically says, Dad, I want half, I want my half of the inheritance. Uh, inheritance has only come to guys in that day and age when their parents are dead. So he basically says to his dad, uh, ostensibly, I, I, want, I want to play like you're dead. I want you to be dead to me because I want all the money that's coming to me. And then he doesn't hang out, at, you know, invested at home or anything like that. He leaves. He goes off to, he gets as much distance between him and his father as possible, and he just blows everything that his dad had worked all his life to save up for him. He's in a pig trough, and he has this epiphany. He says, at least I'll go home and, and be a slave of my father's. I mean, I don't deserve to be a son again, but, but at least I'll just hang out. Maybe he'll have mercy on me. And the story takes a turn. When this kid is walking down the road, what's his dad doing? I picture him just kind of, you know, busy with his dealings, but 
always with one eye on the road, right? And when he sees the figure of his son down the road, he's like, that's my kid. And he doesn't wait for him with hands on his hips. I told you it wouldn't work. Now you could sleep in that tent just outside our property line. That'll learn you. No, he doesn't do that. He runs down the road. He throws his arm around this kid. He gives him a ring and a robe, and they, they kill a cow, and they have a party. Why? Because that's the love of our God. That's his said. It's steadfast love. It's what he does for us. He loves us, regardless of what we've done to him. He gives us uh, this fountain of life. It's the, the living water that you read about when Jesus was hanging out with that woman by the well the water that you can drink and you'll thirst no more. Same idea. He says, David says this about God. He says, you're light. And through your light, we see light. You know what that is? I forgot my cell phone, but everybody's got that little flashlight on their cell phone now, right? How many people use that? It's a good little handy thing. And so you can turn the flashlight on your cell phone. And here's what I use the flashlight on my cell phone on when I get to the house. Or when I get into a strange house, like we'll stay in a place, we went to an Airbnb uh, this uh, past summer and we didn't know where all the light switches were. And so uh, I had to put on my flashlight so I could find what? The light switch. I'm not gonna walk around my Airbnb for like four days with my flashlight on. That's dumb, right? I just want the flashlight on long enough so I can find the big light. You know what God does for us? In the middle of our rebellion and our unwillingness to fear him, He just gives us these little epiphanies, these little moments where the little flashlight comes on. So we can say, oh, that's the area that's behind my back and not cemented in. That's what's going on in my life that isn't rendered to him fully. I need to take that out and I need to let his light lead me to that bigger light, that light of freedom and surrender where he has full control of my life, full say-so in my life. And I'm not settling for my little rebellions and my little self-serving stuff. I'm honoring him with everything I've got. So now, may you and I, by God's grace, be pulled from our Christian atheism. May we understand that God wants all of us, all the time, full on serving him, even at at stupid U-turns. He wants us compliant and reliant. He wants us to identify the things in us that, that aren't yielded to him. Repent of those things. If I had time, I'd read you the last parts of the verse. That's what he says. He says, God, just keep me on my knees. Keep me surrendered to you. What is it in your life that you're having a hard time fearing God in? I'm just going to be quiet for a second. You ask God, is there anything in me, anything in my heart is held out in rebellion against you. Just ask him that. Ask him to identify it for you and then I'll pray for us as we close. Go ahead. submission to you. It's a sign of our concentration on you. 
Uh, Lord, forgive us in life where we lack that, both those things, submission and concentration. And grant us, God, in these areas that maybe in the last few quiet moments you've revealed to us, grant us in those areas of our life that aren't surrendered to you, the places where rebellion rules, where we don't think the rules apply to us, to grant us, God, your grace to move from those things and into righteousness. If there's men and women in here that are uh, outside of your plan for their relationship uh, physically, uh, would you lead them, Lord, to understanding that their very best is going to come uh, when they comply with what you say uh, about their relationship in that physical realm? Yeah, if there's men and women in here who have held on to anger unduly and continue to persist uh, in the power play that their anger provides uh, over the people they're angry with, I, I pray, God, that you would free them from that anger and that you'd help them to seek forgiveness and restoration in those relationships. Uh, for those of us who are just kind of lazy and, and, uh, and not always aware of your greatness and your authority in our lives, uh, would you grant us, God, uh, that awareness that we lack? And lead us in life, Lord, where we're in tune with you and step with you, available to you and obedient to you in all things. Not because you're going to squash us if we don't, but because you're worthy of all that we are. Teach us to surrender, God, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God, bless all of y'all as you seek to follow him. I'll be over here in the corner if you have any questions. Have a great day.